Welcome to Rav Moshe and the Art of Psak. This is the ninth episode in our paradoxically titled series, Things Which Cannot Be Said at All, chronologically tracing the, the use of the phrase Lonitan Amer Klal in Rav Moshe Feinstein's Igros Moshe. The format of this episode will be a little different than we do usually. We're going to do some of the sources before reading the Truva rather than starting from the Truva and moving back when necessary. And uh, we'll see that the use of the phrase um, that we're focusing on is also different than in most cases. Okay, so we're starting from Mishnah Yivama Staff Kufi Zainam Aleph. The Mishnah declares that the halacha is Hakon Emanin Laida, that everyone is allowed to testify to be part of the chain of evidence regard, uh, regarding a the death of, of a husband that frees uh, that frees a woman to remarry, except for uh, five women who have relationships with her. Um, those five women begin with uh, her mother-in-law, Hamosa, the daughter of her mother-in-law, and her co-wife, Vitzarasa. Uh, Shulchan Aruch says, based on the Gemara, that the reason those five women are different, they tell it an ancient joke, uh, but here taken very seriously, uh, right, that's because these women, there is a legal presumption that hatred among them is common enough that even though we have relaxed the ordinary standards of evidence and we allow anyone to testify, um, we don't allow these five women to testify uh, because we think that they might be trying to destroy her life by, you know, getting her to falsely believe her husband. Uh, her husband has died, and now she'll marry somebody else. And the consequences for that uh, are that um, she's right. She can't marry either her first husband or her second husband. Tetsay mizu mizu, and her children are mamzerim. Life is really, uh, life is life is really quite miserable. Um, now, in the list of of people included in this uh, hakol. If you take a look at the um, at the prior the prior sif of Shulchan Aruch, so we're in we're in Siman uh, Yisayin sif Gimel, he says v'chein ovid kochavim o Yisrael lomer lavodos kochavim ulechol atorakula im hu mesiach lefitumo neaman. So our relaxation of the standards of evidence extends even to Jews who have completely rejected Judaism, uh, even to, um, to to non-Jews, even idolaters. Um, so long as right, the last category is they're only believed if they are misichot lefituman, if they are testifying without understanding the import of their testimony, right? So we have, uh, right? So we exclude, uh, the, so they are ordinarily excluded. The the normal, right? The, the complete relaxation does not extend to, uh, right? To, to apostates, and it does not extend to these five women, but the um, but it is extended to apostates so long as they are. Testifying Lefituman, and that leaves open the question of well, what about these five women if they're testifying um, Lefituman? So the Beit Shmuel says, I'm quoting the Shut um, uh, Shar Ephraim, Simon Kofei, that the co wife, the third woman on the list, cannot testify even if she doesn't understand the import of her testimony. And so far as I can tell, uh, subsequent authorities, at least the ones relevant to Rav Moshe, assume that that is true of the other four uh, categories of women or anyone else on that list of people excluded because of Cheskas Sono Zuazu, even though the, you know, the, um, the, the, the exact precedent is only quoted regarding um, Sarasa. Okay, so now, right, so uh, now we're assuming based, uh, that the f- five women are excluded even if they're misichot lefi, um, lefi tuman. But the Pesachet Shuvah quotes the Knesset Micheskel, uh, who says this is really uh, puzzling, because once we've eliminated the formal requirements, so now we have to figure out, so why don't we extend it to these five women? So it must be that Chazal essentially put in another a new requirement, which is we allow anyone to testify, 
unless they are right, unless they hate the woman in question. Now, regarding these five women, we extend it so far as to say, not even if we don't have specific evidence of their hatred, we only have put them in a class where we know hatred is common. That's enough. But Kal Vachomer, if we had uh, right, if we had a kosher aide who we knew, uh, right, who we knew hated them, right. So the fact of the fact uh, of hatred clearly uh, prevents Chazal from accepting testimony below the normal standard of two witnesses. Even one witness should be invalidated. So the the Pesachetruva quotes um, two answers, uh, one from the Marotetz of Ot and the other from the uh, from the Korban uh, Ha'eda. Um, and both of those answers draw distinctions between, um, sorry, the Marotetz of Ot is close to Korban um, Uh, sorry, the Chesed Cheskel is an answer, and then the Corp- then Myra says so was quoting the Corbinida, and uh, what they both give answers distinguishing men from women, right? So a kasher, the first answer is that a kasher aid is not invalidated for these purposes by Sina, because we assume that a kasher male aid is motivated uh, to tell the truth by their desire to preserve their credibility, their Cheskes Kasheris, and if the husband were to show up alive. Then that that person would become invalid as a testimony for the future, so that motivates them. So even though the prohibition of sina applies to these uh, applies to women, it doesn't apply to men who are kosher edim. And the second answer is maybe women are more emotionally driven by hatred, right? Nashim dots and kalos, which you can. It was difficult to 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 know exactly what it means in any specific context, but you end up with a distinction between men and women, to which the Pesachet um, Shuva says, okay, so now you've explained the question about a kosher aid. But what about the other women, right? For these purposes, women and men are equivalent for testimony because I'll relax the requirements. So if you're going to say that these five women are invalid to testify because they're cheskas sonos zuazu, there's a presumption. So if we had a woman who's not one of the five women, but she certainly does hate, we have evidence that she hates this, that she hates the uh, possible widow. Then of course she should be psula. And on this, the the um, the the Pesachet uh, Shuvah, um, where again, we're in, uh, so now we're in Yudzayin Chafei, the Pesachet Shuvah concludes by saying the following, um, that a new Torah would come out of this, and this is not a compliment, uh, but this is an expression of incredulity, that a woman, even if she's not part of the five, of the five, of the, that list of five women, if we know that she has hatred towards the potential, the possible widow, she's invalid. Uh, and it's only men who are right? Who are known to hate are kosher, uh, for either reason, um, and so therefore we say we say those five women are psulos. That's because they're the ones who are psulos only with the chazaka, whereas all women are psulos if they are known to hatred. He says this requires investigation to me because I've never heard anybody say that we invalidate the testimony. Of an unrelated woman, um, as, as to a husband's death, on the ground that um, that the witness has the woman who is a witness has pre- uh, has previously expressed hatred toward the um, toward the possible widow. Okay, we're going to move now to Igris Moshe Evan Ezra Chelik Aleph Simon Mem Dalit and Mem Hey. Uh, these are not the tribute in which the phrase appears, but it's necessary to do them uh, in the lead up. Uh, so this is talking about um, somebody. Uh, this, these are tribute from from uh, 57, uh, uh, 07, 1947. They're written to Chacham Echad, so at least I don't know uh, who they were. They were written to. 
Tefshin uh, Zayin. Um, so we're in uh, 1947. Um, and right, there's a man, there's a, there's a man who there's testimony um, was taken to the gas chambers. Um, and he also is known to have a particular, a particular illness that would have led the, the Nazis in the sorting to, uh, to kill him rather than preserve him. The issue is that all this testimony comes from his mother or the woman's mother-in-law, and she's, uh, high, you know, she's the first one on the list of the five women who can't testify. Um, but she's testifying because all this comes from a letter that she wrote to her grandchildren asking them, uh, to say Kaddish for the husband, and not because uh, not because she's in is in any way involved in trying to free the widow um, directly, or has any idea that's how her testimony is going to be used. Um, so Rav Moshe says the following um, regarding regarding the, regarding the woman who has this case, and she's testifying innocently. Avali says. But he says many Rishonim hold that it doesn't work even their Mesichos Lefituma. It's a little interesting. He says many Rishonim because uh, the Beit Shmuel didn't quote many Rishonim. But let's um, let's assume that's that I think it means Rishonim Rishonim. I don't think it just means people prior. Let's assume that there is such uh, such evidence, even though I haven't seen it. Even though Rav Moshe says I am Beit Shmuel Semi Yezayin Sifkat Nud Gemel. So Rav Moshe says Hinei Imhu Beofen Shein Tam Shetisnak Eskalasa. Suppose. It's a case where there's no reason for this mother-in-law to hate her daughter-in-law. Kigon didan, right, as in our case, where the where the woman, the the daughter-in-law and the grandchildren are in America, and the husband was in Europe in a place which were completely destroyed during the Shoah, um, and everyone is impoverished, and so it's obvious that the children aren't going to come there to inherit, and so it sounds like Moshe thinks that the underlying rationale, the different ways to understand the Gemara, is that the mother-in-law is jealous of the right, of the inheritance, and here there's there's no inheritance, and if there were any inheritance, you know, pit, some pit, pitting inheritance, the grandchildren wouldn't come to inherit it, so there's no basis for this woman to have hatred towards her daughter-in-law, right? So now we're out of the realm of the joke, right? It's not the essential relationship, it's some kind of economic consequence. Um, so this is against the bitch, but to allow this woman to remarry seems to be against the bitch mul, or Moshe identifies as many Rishonim. But he says, I think, says Rav Moshe, to this Chacham Echad, the correct thing is to be Matir. Why? He says, He says, look, if we know that she has no motive to hate her, then she doesn't hate her. So now the only question is, she doesn't hate her, so it's not a credibility problem. It just has to be that that's the form of the Takana. They said these women are excluded, and they said these women are excluded absolutely. Right? We don't start making fine distinctions and starting to judge it, because right? we don't want to end up judging case-by-case case credibility. The whole point of rules is that we don't have to judge case-by-case. Um, case. right, and he says that comes from Anodi Bihuda, Madura Tinyana, Chelek, Simon uh, right, who's, right, who has a case where it's not clear whether the mother-in-law should hate her, should hate her child. Uh, as for example, right, he constructs a case where there's no inheritance um, beca- um, because she marries after the father after the, after the father dies. So right, so, and the Nadibia, as Ramosha reports him, says that there's no um, that at least there's a possibility that we say low plug. And therefore, we can't. All right, we can't release her. So that should be the same thing here, says Rav Moshe. Uh, but he says no. Uh, he doesn't think it's exactly the um, same thing. 
why is it not the same thing? Sarah says that he has a fundamental problem here, um, which is Loplug is Chumra, and the underlying principle in Egon cases is Beguna Hekila Rabbanan. The whole, the whole thing we're doing here is making this, uh, right, is relaxing the standards of evidence to allow the woman to remarry. So why would we put in a plug, uh, a low plug rule that we don't make distinctions when our whole point here is that we're trying to do everything to free her? They end up saying this woman whose husband is actually dead, we believe he's actually dead, but we're going to be machmir on her because of the. Uh, right, because we don't want to make distinctions, that seems implausible to him, and he finds that also the uh, the Marchash, Rechaim uh, Shabtai, is a, a Greek posik in the um, late 16th, early 17th century, also says this principle that there shouldn't be low plug by Yigun. The problem is that it disagrees with the um, with, with the Maginishna and the possibility raised by the Nebuda, so we need to make a distinction. Uh, so we need to make a distinction. Um, and he says, so he really has two dis- he, has t- he has two questions now, he says. One is, I don't think there should be low plug in Egon cases at all. And the other is the question from the Pesachet Shuvah, which is, how can it end up being, um, even if you accept the Terusim of the of the Eda, uh, Maras Etzovos, or the Knesset Yecheskel, that how can it be that you end up with a halacha that suggests that uh, all women other than the five women, if they are known to hate the uh, the the possible widow in question can't testify. There's no precedent for claiming that. So, a uh, he's bothered by low plugs, and b he's bothered by the um, by the implication. Um, okay, so how do we resolve this? He says for lechain tzarech lomar, right? A really uh, a really wild move. He says what we have to say is that nobody has thinks that Jews with a cheskas kashras, male or female, would lie because they hate somebody. Right, that's what the Cheskas Kashras means, is you don't lie because of it. But what's going on here is Chazal are, are, are um, vacating some of the standard laws of evidence. They're letting people testify, uh, or letting individuals testify, but ordinarily we'd require two male Kashuradim. So now they're trying to figure out how far are we going to go with this extension. They said to extend this heter to these women who have a Chazaka of Sina, it's not that we suspect any individual of lying. Once they testified, if we allowed them to, we would have to trust them like we trust everyone else. But it makes us nervous, so we're not going to include them in the leniency. Um, so therefore, he says, it's not a plug l'chumra. We're not being machmir and allowing people to, and, and not allowing people to testify who should be able to. Uh, what we're saying is we didn't extend the kula initially. Now that may be a sort of semantic game. Why don't we? Well, we could say, why didn't they extend the takana to, um, to to women in this case? But it's going to turn out that they actually did. So how are we going to do that? Because they say, look, there's no way that there's no way we can say that lo plug extends to the mesicha lefituma, not mesicha lefituma distinction, because we know that there's another class of people whom Chazal fundamentally excluded from the takana, that's apostates and uh, idolaters, and yet we do trust them. When they testify, um, when they testify lefituman, so it must be that the low plug really goes the other way. That the testimonies we believe just about all witnesses, except for these, uh, except for these five women, apostates and idolaters, and all the people who are excluded are believed if they're misichot lefituman. So that's great. All right, that's a great svara. Now we we know that there are no plug, there are no low plugs lechumra in aguna cases. It just leaves us with the question. Um, why did the Nodi Buddha and the Nagi Mishnah um, not get this? So here Moshe comes up 
with um, yet another uh, spectacular uh, move. He says, well, there's a difference between suspecting people who are Mesichot Lefituman and suspecting people of faking being Mesiach Lefituman, that we believe you're Mesiach Lefituman, that's a given. But some people, we, we are afraid, have set up this situation. Maybe this mother-in-law wrote the letter to her grandchildren in America, um, knowing like, that because it looked, so, it looked so innocent and unaware of the implications, that her daughter-in-law would use it and that would, be, that would you know, enable her, uh, her wicked plan of messing up her daughter-in-law's life to go into, into action. So now Rosh says, so what the Nodi Behuda and the uh, Magad Mishnah are talking about is they're afraid that women are, um, that, women are act- that these women are actually going to engage in this trickery. So in a case where we know there isn't actually any, uh, any hatred, it's just low plug. So if it's just low plug, then we don't write this new suspicion that they're going to fake be Messiah Lefituman doesn't apply. And so therefore any... If these five women present themselves as being mesichot lefituman in a circumstance where we don't really have a chazaka that they hate each other, it's just a little plug. We can uh, we we can believe them, and therefore, if Moshe says to this chacham echad that he thinks in this case, we um, despite the fact that there's a mishnah which says that these five women are ineligible to testify about the death of the husband, we can free this woman uh, based exclusively on the testimony of her mother-in-law. Okay, let's move on to the uh, truth that is really the subject of this episode. Uh, now we're in 5710, Tavshin Yud, Yud This truth is written to Rav Agonim Afur, Summer in Rav Dov Bert Zuckerman, Shlita Agonav Bez in Buffalo. You can look his forum up on Hebrew books. Uh, I haven't had a chance to look at them uh, in depth yet, but he's a parish in Hurios, which always, uh, which always interests me. And you have roughly the identical case. The details are a little different. The husband went over the border um, uh, trying to escape the, the Soviets, as opposed to being taken to the gas chambers. Uh, he drowned, um, and the testimony comes from the husband's sister and not from the, the husband's mother, from Bat, Bat presumably. Um, but roughly the, the, the outlines of it are, are the same. So the rabbi in Buffalo, Rabbi Zuckerman, tried to come up with an interesting claim as, as to why this case is different by saying that maybe in the time of the Holocaust nobody had time to hate anybody uh, generally. Uh, Rav Moshe says that's too subjective, but he agrees that this you know, that this is a case because the grounds uh, again he thinks the grounds of hatred would be the inheritance, and everybody knows that in this period of time in Europe nobody is getting an inheritance um, at all. Um, so there was no, there's no such suspicion. I, I gather it's a letter that was written at the time, uh, not now, not not years later. Um, so we end up structurally in the same position that there's one of the, one of the women on the list uh, who. Uh, about whom there uh, there are reasons to, to believe that the chazaka doesn't apply, um, and Rav Moshe goes and presumably also she's mesichot she's mesichah lafituma. Um, the um, yeah that that's clear from the case, and Rav Moshe goes for the same logic. Um, right, he says, how can we say that there's a low plug that's machmir when we guna hekilu rabbanan that should always be lenient. Um, he's, and he says, right, are we really going to say that uh, right, that we know the halacha is that uh, that men and women uh, who are not on that list are allowed to testify even if they actually hate the uh, hate the widow, so how can we exclude these five women just because there's a chazaka that they hate um, and he says, so look at the Pesachet 
um, who asked this right? Who asked this question? And he says, and look, their first level of distinction is we can separate between men and women. We'll exclude all women, but not men. That, Ramosha says, obviously cannot be said. As the Pischetshuv himself says, that we never heard anybody making this claim that uh, women uh, who have a prior history of hatred are, um, but are not part of these five women um, are excluded. So this is different from the case we've seen previously because Lonitan Lehamer is not used um, directly to against the suggestion that Rav Moshe's correspondent is using. It is instead used um, about a source in Rav Moshe's, in Rav Moshe's argument. Jalakir never brought it up. And it's interesting because we see that there are two chivot that are roughly identical. And Rav Moshe uses the phrase in one of them and not the other. And the ground of it, uh, even though it's right here, it's really being used against suggestions by two achronim quoted by the Pischei Tshuva. Um, on the other hand, Ramosha is basically just adding himself. The Pischei Tshuva says, wow, that would be a really wild thing. We never heard about this. Ramosha says, because we never heard this, therefore it's, um, right, therefore it's impossible that it could be true. Um, so the question is, does, is that really what he means? Baruch l'nitan l'hamer, k'demasik ha-Pischei Tshuva ba'atzmo, so I think the right way to read it is it can't be said as the Pischei Tshuva himself concludes he never heard this now, it's not obvious the Pischei Tshuva says that it can't be true because he's never heard it it just is puzzled because he's never heard it uh, so it could be that Rav Moshe is just jumping on the Pischei Tshuva and saying that you know what when people come up with wild chidushim that seem to, that no one's ever suggested before they're wrong uh, of course Rav Moshe himself comes up with wild chidushim that no one ever suggested before um, including this tshuva, there may be things that no one has uh, suggested before. Uh, right? It's really a, there are two very clever moves. Um, so it could be that, um, but I would rather uh, suggest that what Rav Moshe is really saying is it can't be that there's a chumrah in the realm of Igun um, that nobody's ever heard of before. That would go, again. Right? the notion that there's a huge chumrah that's not suggested anywhere in the uh, anywhere in the sources. Rebbe has already made the principle So you can't say lo plug. Um, right? He has a another clever move that you can't say lo plug about any. Uh, we didn't see it in the first shuv, but in the second shuv he has it. You can't say lo plug about anything that is not explicitly mentioned in the Gemara. So since the Gemara never explicitly excludes these five women if they're misichot lefituma, then you can't say misichot lefituma. Then you can't say lo plug. About that, so I would rather say that um, what drives what drives Rav Moshe in this case is the impossibility of there uh, being an unknown chumra in Igun, and that this is part of Rav Moshe's general principle that Mishum Igun Rabbanan is tells you that you are entitled to be results oriented. At the end of um, this trivia, he has another important point um, where he says that the woman herself, which is not uh, relevant to our specific case, but I think it's really worth saying. He says, look, the woman uh, says that she received a heter uh, from a rabbi in, uh, right, from, from a rabbi in Surah. We can't confirm that at all, but she says it. And you might think, well, maybe that rabbi made a mistake. 
um, and he released her when uh, she should not have. Or you might think that, uh, right, this is particularly the case, right, this is where Rebosha gets really radical, because based on the story that she is telling us, it would have been a mistake. Right? He says, um, a, um, right, um, right, so we should believe her, right? we believe her because of Pesha Asr Pesha Hitter, that the rabbi actually issued, issued the Hitter, um, because nobody, but maybe the rabbi made a mistake, um, right, because the story she's telling us does it wouldn't give us grounds for heter on the way right on the way that uh, that um, that she said because we didn't have the, the other testimony yet. So he says, even if according to her own words the story she tells us, the rabbi should not have been matir. We can say, look, that rabbi we didn't make didn't make a mistake. She's just forgetting some evidence, and we can't get it. Uh, right, we can't get it. We can't get it right. And then before that, he said, uh, "Right, we should believe her that she was permitted to remarry by a famous rabbi in Munich." He says, "We certainly, if if a right, if a Rav Chashuv Minchin." I assume that I assume, but maybe I'm wrong, right? That she didn't just say some rabbi in Munich. I don't remember whom. Oh, that would also be the case, right? If Pesha Asr Pesha Hitir, if she says it was a prominent rabbi in Munich, so then we believe there was a prominent rabbi in Munich. Could go that far. It could be that Rabosha knows the name and isn't um, and isn't using it. Um, but once we have testimony that is that a um, a rav we consider sufficient, whether it's because she testifies that it was a rav we would consider sufficient, or because we know directly that it was a rav we consider sufficient, gave her a heter. Um, so he says at that point, even if that heter doesn't make sense to us with the story she's telling now, we are certainly not obligated to ask after Zorah, and maybe we are also not permitted. Uh, right? So that's a very radical right um, move, right? That once there's a heter for Naguna, um, even though you have good reason to question it, you should not. Um, and one wonders whether the Ramesh's claim that there's no permission to check it. So that could just be part of a general uh, principle about um, not relitigating cases that have been decided. Or that could also be a specific rule um, in Igun, and it may be an extension of Mishim Igun Hekila Birabanan, that if somebody with authority uh, issues a psak, then your job is not to investigate it. Um, but simply to uh, to affirm it. Okay, we will uh, look forward to seeing you next episode.